focus this evening again in verse 23. The only way I know to do this and I want to do it in one Sunday is both morning and evening, so I encourage you to be here this evening. These are some of the most uh, astounding, um, significant, uh, challenging, uh, difficult, and difficult to understand words that um, uh, that Christ ever spoke, I believe. And they are essential to us. Essential to our understanding and essential to whether or not uh, we properly understand uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, much less whether we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you uh, to join me as I um, struggle, struggle to get my um, arms around all that is taught here. Let me begin with verse 18, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Nothing's new under the sun. You can read all kinds of books by all kinds of people that give you all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, and remember where he's just told them he's going, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, must be killed, and then on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, this is, a, um, this is one of those astounding passages that is so tightly packed with so much uh, you You give us a great deal here to comprehend. And there are a lot of things here that uh, in our flesh we don't respond to real well. I pray, Lord, that you'll um, uh, that you'll by your grace and by the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and uh, through the one who speaks, I pray that you would help us 
uh, to hear your voice, to hear the voice of Jesus. Uh, Forgive the one who speaks if he mishandles your words and may the way in which he he mishandles your word not cause your people confusion, but when this word is handled properly, oh God, use it to speak to us in a powerful fashion. Lord, these are the kinds of words that put into place those individuals um, changed and equipped and empowered by your Holy Spirit, uh, individuals that you would use to turn the world right side up. Lord, help us to hear what you're telling us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think recruiting slogans, at least I find them interesting. They're they're intriguing. I I prefer, I, I much prefer... Be all that you can be. I, I, like that, I like that old slogan a whole lot more than this, an army of one. I've never even quite understood what that means. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I really like the few, the proud, the Marines. Woo! And then there's Jesus' recruiting speech. That's what we got here in verse 23. We got Jesus' recruiting speech. And you know what? Many of us in evangelicalism would rather go to Madison Avenue than to Luke chapter 9 to come up with a recruiting speech for calling people to be calling upon people to become followers of Jesus Christ. We'd much rather go to Madison Avenue and come up with something flashy, something catchy, something that kind of makes people go, whoo. We'd much prefer to go there than we're willing to listen to what Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 9. This is what he said. Look at verse 23. He says, if you want to come after me and remember where I just told you I was going... If you want to come after me, if you want to sign up with me, if you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross daily, and you must follow me. You must follow me where I've told you I am headed. You want to be my disciple. You want to sign up with me. You want to be my follower. And you got to deny yourself. That's what we'll talk about this morning a little bit. And then this evening, you have to take up your cross daily. You have to follow me. Follow me. And remember when I say to you, follow me, remember where I just told you I was headed. I just told you I have to suffer many things. I have to be betrayed. I have to be put to death. And then on the third day, I will rise again. That's Jesus' recruiting speech. What do you think? It's not real catchy. 
It really doesn't make me go, it kind of makes me go, oh God. What are you asking of me? Let's look at it. In Jesus' day, you have to understand, in Jesus' day, there were lots of people who called themselves disciples, people whose lives were impacted and shaped by the words and lifestyles of those teachers that they, they followed, that they came after. You had, in Acts chapter 17, Paul mentions Stoics. They were disciples of a guy named Zeno, and they believed, they, they taught their followers that, that happiness... Talk about there's nothing new under the sun. Just listen to this. These guys were Stoics, followers of Zeno, and they taught that happiness was to be found by being in step with nature with the heartbeat of the world around you. That's catchy. I don't know what it means, but it's catchy. Then there were Epicureans, disciples of Epicurus, and they taught that no one needs to fear divine judgment. Because this life is all there is, so eat, drink, and be happy, for tomorrow you die. You ever, ever heard that? There's nothing new under the sun. And of course, I mean, obviously, in, in Roman culture, there were those who were, who were disciples of Rome, for whom the basic philosophy of life was might makes right. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Among the Jews, there were all kinds of people who called themselves disciples. There were those disciples who called themselves zealots, the zealously opposed to Rome, determined to free Jerusalem from Rome's iron grip, even if it meant murder and, and, and even if it meant terrorism. There were Sadducees, disciples of the Sadducees, who were people that were strongly supportive of Rome because Rome helped maintain their position in society. And there were disciples of Moses who were zealous for the law and disciples of the Pharisees who were zealous for the traditions of the elders. And there were disciples of John the Baptist, individuals who were willing to humiliate themselves by undergoing a baptism, which was only required of Gentiles, who were willing to undergo a baptism to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. So this concept of being a disciple was a well-known concept in Jesus' day. And now Jesus looks at these 12 men whom he has called back in Luke chapter 6. And he says to them here in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Now if you want to continue to follow me, if you want to be identified as one of my disciples, then you need to be prepared to follow me. You need to be prepared to come after me, to follow me, remembering where I told you I was going. Look back at verse 20 real quick. Peter's made his great confession, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you're the one who's coming as promised from God through man. How did Peter suddenly, how, how did Peter, Peter, how did Peter suddenly get it right? I mean, it's really encouraging to know that Peter suddenly got it right. I mean, it gives me hope that someday I might get it right. Because Peter finally gets it right. But how did that happen? He had spent time with Jesus, he had seen the things that Jesus did, he had heard the things that Jesus said. 
but so had many others. You know, we're told in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, that this wisdom that Peter speaks, this wisdom was revealed to him from heaven. And if you look back at Luke chapter 9, verse 18, where we're told that Jesus is praying, I really believe that's what Jesus is praying for. I believe that Jesus was praying about, he is praying that the Father through the Holy Spirit will reveal to Peter the answer to the question that Jesus is about to ask. And who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. The light came on. The light came on and it overcame the darkness. I think it's important I think, I think it's very important to take note of the fact that, that, that in Peter's case, as in most cases, the light didn't come on from out of the blue. I mean, it's, like, it's not like Peter didn't know who Jesus was or hadn't spent time with Jesus or hadn't heard the things that Jesus said or hadn't seen the things that Jesus did. All of that was true. But then God, by his Holy Spirit, enables Peter to put all of the pieces together and go, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. See, we have to be planting seeds. We have to be planting seeds. I'm not asking you, because I don't believe the Scriptures ask you to be a full-blown evangelist. Not everyone's an evangelist. Evangelism is a gift that God gives. And not everybody has that gift, that gift, but every last one of us has the ability to plant a seed. And it takes the planting of seed for this plant to, to sprout, for this belief to come forth. I mean, how many have never heard of Jesus or or having heard of him, have no reason to think more about him, or, or having been challenged to think about him, have chosen not to. I mean, how many people have rejected Christ, having never taken the time to carefully consider his claims, whether his claims, whether they're true or whether they're outrageous? How many people have never had any reason to be challenged to give a second thought about who Jesus is, at the very least. At the very least. The life you live out there and the words you speak out there, at the very least, should cause people to pause and think, okay, so just who is this Jesus? These people keep talking about and giving indication of the fact that this is why they live their life the way they live it, and this is why they, they say the things that they say. It wasn't out of a vacuum that Peter came to faith, but there is absolutely no doubt about the fact that this wisdom was supernaturally revealed to him from heaven, and that is why not only do we live our life out there, and not only do we speak words of truth out there, and not only are we concerned for others and concerned to show to others the reality of who Christ is by how we live and by what we do, but we pray for them. 
And the reason we pray for them is because only the Spirit of God can open eyes that are blind. You will never change anyone's mind. You will never bring anyone to Christ, even if you win the argument. Only Christ, through the work of his Holy Spirit, can change the heart, can change the life, can cause the light to come on. And that is a remarkable thing to behold when the light comes on. Well, Peter, for Peter, the light comes on. You are the Christ. And then Jesus warns them, don't you tell anybody of this. Don't you tell people I'm the Christ. If you tell the people in general that I'm the Christ, they're going to come and try and force me to, be, to become king. And if the authorities find out that I am the Christ, they'll come and try to put me to death ahead of time. So let's just keep this to ourselves at the moment. Because there is a plan in place here, and I have to go to Jerusalem, and there I have to suffer many things and be rejected and be killed, and on the third day rise again. And having stunned them with that information, he now plainly tells them what he requires of those who would be his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Listen to me. Please hear this. If you claim, let's go, all, let's go through all the verbiage. If you claim to be a believer, if you claim to be saved, if you claim to be born again, if you claim any of those three things, and it's true, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't decide, you know, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is really risky business, and I'm not really sure I want to do that, but I sure want to be saved. You can't do that. Not taught anywhere in Scripture. No such idea is found anywhere in the Word of God. So when Jesus speaks here about what he requires of those who are his disciples, he means, just so we make sure we keep the verbiage in place here, he's talking about those who in our culture would claim to be saved, to be born again, who claim to be Christians. A Christian is by biblical definition a disciple. It's impossible to be born again and not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we aren't left with the little option here. And I, you know, I kind of grew up with this mentality. I kind of grew up with a mentality that said, you know, I can take Jesus, I can get born again and know I'm not going to hell when I die. And someday I can really get serious about whether or not I really want to be one of his disciples. Well, that just doesn't exist in Scripture. Jesus is talking about a race of super-Christians here. He's talking about everyone who names the name of Christ. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. We hear the word disciple and we think of these 12 guys. And it's true that in this particular passage of Scripture, Jesus is speaking to these 12 guys 
But the concept of disciple is not limited to these 12 men. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. If you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple. And if you are a disciple, then Christ is speaking to you. If you're a believer, if you're born again, if you're saved, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, this is what I require. This is what I demand, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, what a way to start. You want to follow me? You must deny yourself. But it makes absolute sense. I think we get all confused at this point. Listen to me. This is really critical stuff. What does Jesus mean when he says you have to deny yourself? Let me tell you what he's not talking about. When he says you must deny yourself, he's not talking about, well, he's not talking about Ash Wednesday. Now, when I was in high school up in Trenton, New Jersey, Ash Wednesday was really a very big day because my high school was, high school I attended was 50% Roman Catholic. And these kids would be late coming to school, and when they showed up at school, they had ashes on their head. And you know what? I'm grateful to say, at least back in the culture in which I was raised, nobody made fun of that. Nobody, nobody thought about making fun of that. Nobody ridiculed that. Nobody looked at that askance. I mean, as a little Protestant boy, I just kind of always looked at that and went, huh. Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent, Lent is the 40 days that leads up to Easter. Lent is a word that simply means spring. It's in the spring of the year. The 40 days that lead up to Easter, it's a 40-day period. You know how significant 40-day periods are in Scripture. It's a 40-day period that the Roman Catholic Church set apart and said during these 40 days leading up to the celebration of our Lord's resurrection from the dead, now, we are going to identify ourselves with him by denying ourselves a particular pleasure. And we're going to begin by putting on our marks, uh, putting on our heads uh, the sign of the cross and ashes to show our humility and our identification with the one who died. And then during these 40 days, we will deny ourselves uh, a particular pleasure uh, in order to identify the fact that we are one with Jesus. Well, let me tell you what, all of that's not a terrible idea. I don't, I don't, think, that, I don't think Roman Catholicism has committed some great heresy by the practice of Ash Wednesday. But the danger is that you can go through all of that and go, I denied myself. That's not what he's talking about. He's not even talking, he's not even talking to those of us who, uh, who are Protestants and suggesting to us that uh, denying yourself means that you learn to live a disciplined life in which you deny yourself certain pleasures. That's what it means to deny myself. Well, that may be a good thing to do. I mean, obviously, those pleasures are sinful. And even if those pleasures aren't particularly sinful, it's good to stay away from anything that might enslave or dominate your life. But as important as all of that is, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about denying ourselves, you know, in the sense that, you know, 
I wanted, you know, I really wanted the $40,000 car, but because I'm going to identify myself with Jesus, I'm going to get the $20,000 car. Boy, Jesus must be proud. It's not what he's talking about. It's much more significant than that. What does it mean to deny yourself? If you are a, think, 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 think Jewishly. Who's he talking to? He's talking to disciples. Who are they? They are Jews. Think Jewishly. What does it mean to say to a group of Jews in the first century in Galilee, you must deny yourself? It means, you guys have got to understand right up front that you can't save yourselves. you got to understand, you cannot look to yourself for the strength and for the wisdom that you need to follow me. That's what it means. These people thought they could save themselves. These people thought that by keeping the law, they could merit acceptance with God and God would find them favorable in his sight. And Jesus says to his disciples, the first thing you have to do is you have to humble yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to realize that in and of yourself, there is nothing you can do to merit acceptance with God. Only God can grant you the gift of an enduring faith. Only God can grant you the wisdom that comes from knowing those revealed truths that teach us who we are, who show us who God is, who, who make clear to us what God expects of those made by him and for him, truths that never change, truths that are true for everyone, everywhere, at all time. Those truths that are revealed in Holy Scripture Truths illuminated and impressed upon our mind and hearts by the Holy Spirit. You may have a lot of knowledge. You might be able to shine on jeopardy. But only in humble submission to God. And only in humble in submission to his revealed word can you become wise. This past week, Arthur Miller died a writer of incredible plays. Plays that, in, in, in my readings over the years, have, have brought me to tears. The Crucible, the, the death of a salesman. You know what? <laughs> what? What made Arthur Miller a great playwright? What made Arthur Miller a great playwright in the eyes of our world is that he knew all the questions. He knew the questions. He knew all the questions that burn in the deep recesses of our hearts. But you know what he didn't know? He didn't know any of the answers. He didn't know any of the answers. Christ comes and Christ says, you must understand who you are and you must understand who I am. And if you understand who you are and you understand who I am, then you will deny yourself and you will cling to me. 
Because there's nothing you can do to merit acceptance with God. But if you cling to me, then I will grant you the gift of faith and the gift of salvation. And I will give to you the power and, and the abilities that you need to walk in the way that I would have you to go. How desperately are you clinging to Jesus Christ? How much... How often do you get up in the morning and that day you determine you're going to live this day in your strength that you're smart enough to make it through this day, that you've got enough wisdom to make it through this day, that you've got enough strength to get through this day. You say, I never have that thought process. You have that thought process every morning that you get up and you do not immediately acknowledge before God, this is your day. I can't make it through this day without you. I cannot live wisely this day without you. I cannot act wisely this day without you. I cannot this day serve as your witness. I cannot this day speak the truth to others. I cannot this day do any of those things unless I deny my own self-righteousness and abilities and cling to you. Jesus isn't calling upon you to deny yourself candy. Now, some of you need to deny yourself a little candy. But that's for other reasons. Jesus isn't calling upon you to deny yourself in all of the ways that we, we have traditionally thought of when we deal with this passage of Scripture. He's calling upon you to recognize, I am utterly, totally, completely dependent upon you, and I don't even dare hardly get out of this bed without asking for your, your presence in my life to equip me and to strengthen me and to enable me and to, and, to, and to guide me and to take me step by step by step. St. Augustine, who lived at the end of the 300s and the beginning of the 400s, spent about, I guess it's about 15 years of his life, maybe 16, 17 years of his life, from his late teens to his early 30s. Trying in his, on his own merit, and St. Augustine was probably a lot more intelligent than anybody else in this room. Trying in his own strength, on his own merit, to find true truth. And while he, he, he writes in his confession... After his conversion, he writes, while many applauded my quest for truth, my quest for understanding, my quest for faith. He writes that his journey as a young man was just a futile, circular movement. He imagined himself to be a seeker after God. But in fact, the only place he ever ended up was right back here with himself. What began as a projected heroic journey, it just ended in exhausted despair. St. Augustine wrote, what am I to myself but a guy? Listen to this. St. Augustine wrote, what am I to myself but a guide to my own destruction? 
What am I to myself but a guide to my own self-destruction? You say, oh God, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I'm delivered from that. Are we? When we get up and live the day without any conscious thought of our utter dependence upon God, we are in fact determining to guide our own steps and we will be a guide to our own self-destruction. If we would be disciples of Jesus Christ, if we would follow him, then we must believe him when he says to us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. We must believe what the writer of Proverbs tells us when he tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus is calling upon us In calling upon us to deny ourselves, he's calling upon us to live each, listen to me, he is calling upon us to live each day in conscious dependence upon God and with a conscious determination and prayer to the Lord that this day God will use me. To his own glory. Look at him 559. Very quickly. Our time is gone here. Look at him 559. Him 559. Look there. Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. The changes that are sure to come, I do not fear to see. I ask thee for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. I would not have the restless will that hurries to and fro, seeking for some great thing to do or secret thing to know. I would be treated as a child and guided where I go. I ask thee for the daily strength To none that ask denied a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side a life of self-renouncing, keeping at thy side, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified in service which thy will appoints. There are no bounds for me. There are no bonds for me. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. Look at this line. Look at this line. A life of self-renouncing love, denying oneself. A life of self-renouncing love is a life of liberty. Let's pray together. Oh God. Help us to understand that to be your disciple, there is no way we can do that. There is no way that we have the ability to live as you would have us to live. There is no way. There is no way for us to be able to accomplish the things that you have for us to do unless we deny ourselves and by denying ourselves acknowledge our utter 
complete and total dependence upon you. And as we shall see tonight, acknowledge not only our utter and total and complete dependence upon you, but acknowledge our willingness to go, to do what you would have us to do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's uh, take the hymnals once again to 559. We will sing that hymn.